With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we'll relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And of course, guys, as always, we're approaching the F1 summer break and it's really, really hot in the UK right now and fortunately not as bad as it was for the British Grand Prix review. But uh, joining me on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast as we talk about the sprint race and was it a success amongst other things and what we would like to see it change. Joining me, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, certainly looking forward to this one. Um, I mean, it's been an interesting few days, to say the least, to be a Formula One fan. Um, very much in the news at the moment. I'm looking forward to uh, yeah discussing this topic once more. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And of course, for those of you that are familiar with the uh, young man that's joining us, we are absolutely buzzing and delighted to have with us uh, a very special young F1 YouTuber, very much a big rising star in the F1 community. It is Formula One's favourite Lithuanian. It's Aldus. Aldus, thanks very much for joining us on the show. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I definitely am going to echo that on the heat as well, because... Oh, the, the past, I think it's been like a week and a half. It's just been absolutely boiling right in the middle of Silverstone as well. The heat was just crazy. And uh, yeah, even now it's still crazy hot. So still getting used to that. But yeah, looking uh, looking forward to this one. So yeah, definitely after Silverstone, <laughs> lots of juicy things to talk about in terms of the sprint. The funny thing is the sprint race has almost kind of like been put to the, put to the side a, a little bit after everything that's happened. But yeah, plenty uh, plenty to talk about. Yeah, you've almost beat me too, actually, because of course we've sent this episode around talking about the sprint race, but because of what happened the day after, it's kind of been a bit of a moot point almost. But um, yeah, definitely want to get into that. Of course, you, as you just mentioned, you went to the British Grand Prix at Silverstone last weekend. I mean, I've, I've got to ask, how was it? Because I really wanted to go, but um, unfortunately I couldn't go at the time. But how was it for you? Oh, it was incredible. The second race I've ever been to, and it was just... The atmosphere was amazing. As always, plenty of walking. So, I mean, if there was, if anyone needs any recommendation in terms of what to bring to Silverstone, a good pair of shoes for, for walking because it is just crazy. But yeah, as I was saying, also the heat was just kind of uh, just insane as well all weekend long. But to be honest, in terms of the actual Formula One and all of the racing, I mean, it, it delivered. We saw some good racing in F2. And then, of course, uh, the main event, Formula One, there was something to watch in every single day. So that was kind of great. It's also 
just a great weekend uh, all round. Definitely, definitely delivered. Yeah, no, I mean, from what we saw on the coverage on TV, there was certainly a lot of action going on, but uh, I, I couldn't help but just checking out all the socials, everyone really having a great time. It, it, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of felt a bit like a music festival kind of yes. vibe going on. And I really had that fear of missing out syndrome going on. Yeah, for me, it was um, 20, obviously in 2020, we didn't get a chance to to have a British Grand Prix. So I definitely, uh, definitely echo that. But yeah, de- that was a big one, the festival vibes. I think everyone was saying that because it's just uh, obviously people everywhere, loads of uh, music and stuff. So it was just, it, it's kind of strange because you come there for Formula One, but then, you know, you're there with your friends and obviously there's so much more to do outside of just watching uh, the F1. So yeah, just even if you're not a, I don't know, even if you're not a massive Formula One fan, it's just a great place to go for a stop to to kind of hang out. So it was just amazing to be there. And uh, even after the racing was finished on the Sunday, there were still people that camped there even the night before because there was like loads of things going on on stage. So yeah, just again, I I, I really missed it in 2020. So I definitely know what you mean. And I just almost want to go back there now. I wish it was 2022 already. So yeah, just uh, looking forward to that. Well, of course, and we'll get to have a look at some of the brand new cars. Um, I suppose I've got to ask, obviously you were there, you had a look at the model of the F1 2022 yes. concept. What did you think? Um, I mean, excluding the livery, because I think there was <laughs> it was quite a bit gauche, but um, yeah, what did you think of the new car? I mean, the livery was just, uh, I think, a talking point, the entire point. It was similar to the Ferrari, kind of the uh, the green uh, for the mission winner. It's it's designed to get like clicks and people talking about it uh, more than anything else. So it definitely stood out, obviously, that kind of uh, holographic livery. But yeah, when you got up close to the car, I mean, it's amazing. I love it. I still think the nose is a little bit too wide at the front, although many teams, I don't, I don't think any teams are going to have that, to be honest, because there's quite a lot of uh, uh, interpretation in terms of what you can do with the nose. But the car itself, I thought it looked amazing. It looked a lot more cleaner. Uh, for some reason, it looked lower like than the regular cars, which is kind of strange. But yeah, absolutely loved it. I think uh, I'm really excited to see what the teams are going to be able to do. Also a little bit worried because we know Formula One teams sometimes can take uh, really good cars and because uh, of just the way they are, they can turn them uh, into not very good looking cars. Let's just say like uh, in 2014, that was definitely. Oh, uh, God, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm kind of optimistic to see them in 2022, but cautious at the same time. But I loved it, to be honest. Yeah, and as long as they provide the desired outcome in terms of close racing, I don't think we're going to care what they look like. Um, I'm hoping that we don't see a repetition of what we saw with uh, Caterham. I think you're talking about 2014. That one sticks to mind. The Torosso. More mature fans will probably know what I'm talking about, what that looked like. Um, The step nose on the Ferrari 2012. uh, As a Ferrari fan, that was uh, definitely an eye Thank you, Cleaner. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, But yeah, of course, you know, let's get into this now. Aldous, first things first, of course, congratulations on getting to 100k subs on YouTube. It's a massive achievement. And um, I've got to ask, have YouTube sent over that silver plaque yet? It's on the way. It's on the way. It took a little bit of time to kind of like sort it out in terms of get it shipped. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's on the way. And I'm just so excited to get it because obviously you see like, I mean, just even watching other YouTubers, you see uh, them get their silver bu- silver play buttons and you just think, wow, I mean, could you imagine getting that one day? So to, to actually maybe have it very, hopefully very soon, unless it gets like lost and delivered to someone else's house <laughs> and they and they have my play button. But uh, yeah, to get it with like my name on it is going to be just mad. So yeah, it's it's been kind of crazy, obviously incredible to get to 100K. But when you get that play button in your hand, I just think, I don't, I don't know what it's going to feel like, but I'm just so, I can't wait for uh, for it to arrive I'm gonna do, I'm gonna probably do like a little unboxing on one of my socials or something just to kind of show the entire experience so yeah I just I'm so buzzing oh absolutely you know I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that and of course as you said if it gets lost in the post and it somehow <laughs> finds its way to me 
I'll promise to send it back, but um, I might do an <laughs> unboxing of my own and just pretend um, just to get a bit of a taste if we ever get that far ourselves. But of course, you know, such a huge meteoric rise on your YouTube channel, not over 20 million views, which is incredible to say the least. Um, you know, the channel's been going for a few years now. It, I think the best way to describe your channel, for those of you that haven't already checked out Aldis's stuff, um, I definitely recommend it. Brilliant channel. I'll leave a link in the description for you. Um, it, it's very much a channel that's informative on F1 topics, but it's very much opinion based, based on stuff, obviously, your opinions in Formula One. But um, as I, I say, informative, because one of my favorite videos on that channel was the um, video that you did recently about Lotus, um, the old Lotus cars in the 70s, the Colin Chapman ground effect cars. Really enjoyed that. Um, I guess my question for that one is, what made you decide to really want to make a channel based on F1 opinions in that nature? I mean, it was just to talk about F1. I mean, with other Formula One fans, that's just how it started because I didn't really have any, literally everyone I knew, they didn't know a single thing about Formula One. I mean, maybe they knew Lewis Hamilton because obviously like Lewis is the biggest driver out there. But other than that, no one else like shared the same passion. So I thought, why not just start talking about it on YouTube and talk about it with other people as well. So that's kind of where it all started and it just kind of exploded from there. But I've tried to keep, uh, I've tried to keep the core concept of the channel just the same, which is just uh, my opinions and also kind of, conversation pieces as well because most of my uh, videos are almost uh, always a uh, probably a question or something and I always like to have like debates in the comments below see what people are also thinking as well so it's all you know it's my opinion it is also of course some um, uh, kind of also informative pieces like you said like that Lotus one which is more kind of a retrospective like look at the past and again you talk about Lotus so I think uh, you know I think for, for that video it was you know why did Lotus fail what happened to them so uh, and that was a really big video. So thank you for enjoying that one because it definitely, it took a long time to actually put together in terms of like writing the script and editing it. So uh, that's great. But yeah, the channels maintain the same, but I've improved in quality. So it's still very, it's still kind of very me because I, I like to, you know, it, it is all about my opinion, but I like to talk to other people about Formula One as well. Yeah, and that's it. You hit the nail on the head. That's kind of, I think for a lot of us that were into F1 for so long, I mean, Courtney and I have known each other since our school days and yeah. one of the things that we had in common from the get-go was formula one and even then we probably didn't have many other people in our friendship groups that were really into formula one so i suppose the best part of the f1 socials your channel several other channels as well um social media is that it's created a community where loads of f1 fans who probably didn't have friends or other people that are really into the sport to now come together in an open forum where they can enjoy content like that or engage with it or offer their own comments and opinions and I don't think we speak highly enough of that. I think that's one of the best parts of it. Certainly for me personally, yeah. I don't know about you both on that one. I think the one thing we've probably noticed most with our channel is if Lewis Hamilton wins a race or Lewis Hamilton is a topic of conversation, the channel does better, but the comment section can become, uh, just say, a little bit difficult because it just yeah. seems that <laughs> it seems that Lewis is such a divisive character that it just you've probably seen obviously you've probably seen like a thousand times more than we have but whenever you speak about Lewis you just get full-blown arguments in the comment section and yeah it's a very different atmosphere let's say World War Three, basically yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean much. it's funny because we had a video not long ago and it had about I think it was like a hundred comments which is insane for us and Courtney messaged me because we don't obviously track our comments too much. Obviously, if people have nice things to say, then great. We always say thank you. We really appreciate that you enjoyed our content. But then obviously, when you get into those realms where people are having a full blown argument, we just prefer to ignore it because it's like, it's, I just can't. So I just can't 
spend the time to read through all of that, let alone want to engage in that mind. It's like opening the grenade and hoping you don't get hit by the flashback or anything like that. But um, obviously one thing I did want to ask Aldous, because obviously we're quite small on the YouTube scene at the moment. Obviously, hopefully one day we'll be a big channel ourselves. But um, just to roll off a few names that you've worked with recently, people like Tia Marduk, Veloce, Kira Megan F1, Tomo F1, Arav, Hayden Gullis, Matt Amis. I mean, what's that got to be like now to be surrounded by some top tier F1 content creators and being one yourself as well now? I mean, just number one, it's surreal. Like even, even still, because I mean, especially people like Arav and Ben, I mean, I, I used to watch their channels in 2012. Like that was such a long time ago. I still remember when, um, uh, when uh, Arava was playing 2012 and doing like hot, those terrible hot laps, like the Arava hot laps. Like I used to love those videos and uh, watching, I remember back in the day, he used to, he, he used to have this video where he um, created like uh, the FIFA cards uh, with oh, Formula yeah. One drivers, like before that was even a thing on the F1 game. So I've been watching these guys for such a long time and it's just so weird to like be interacting with them and sometimes making videos as well. But they're, you know, they're just, they really are, you know, down to earth. They create videos just like everyone else, just on a bit of a bigger scale, obviously, but it's also really great to just be around them and learn and, you just maybe one day uh, get to their level, but also with some of the more recent content creators like Tomo and um, Hayden as well, like Kira, like they're just, they're, they're just the same. They're just as passionate. They all do different things as well. It's quite interesting because a lot of people, it's not all the same. It's not everyone making the same content. I mean, it's, it's all around formula one, but uh, obviously Matt uh, knows a lot about filming and uh, karting as well. Tomo is all about kind of graphic design. He loves his liveries and Hayden is also about the gaming and uh, Kira is kind of similar in terms of like, kind of similar to my videos in terms of like the opinionated one. So everyone does something different, but everyone loves F1 and just uh, being able to, even with, you know, with you guys, just being able to talk to content creators about formula one, it's just, it's really, it's really interesting. And it's also a little bit different when it is content creators, because you understand kind of different things. You kind of do similar things as well. So it, that kind of side is uh, really cool as well. Yeah. I, I love how there's so many different niches, as you mentioned, that you can just tap into. There's no two content creators that are ever the same. I mean, you mentioned Tomo. I love the style of how he's turned the color pink into a niche of its own with F1. And yet, you know, just like the racing point cars were, everyone loved them for obviously what it was. It, it just works. Um, so no, that that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, hopefully we'll know what that's like one day, but we'll see. Um, but one thing I did want to ask you, because obviously you went to Goodwood as well last week with some of the lads from Veloce. And you, I, I think I remember right on your Instagram, you put a picture of you next to a Ferrari F8 Spider and you were going up the hill. Yeah. That is a bit of a lifelong dream of mine to go up the hill at Goodwood. What was that like? If you can describe the experience as detailed as you can. I mean, again, surreal. You watch on YouTube, uh, obviously the, uh, the, the hill runs, you see like these massive YouTubers get a chance to uh, to join them and be in the cars to, to, to go on these like massive hill runs. And then you actually get there, you, you get a chance to do it. You step into the car. And first of all, it's just like even crazy to even be in the car and talk to the drivers. And that's kind of an interesting thing that I didn't really see coming. I thought the drivers were just going to be, you know, you kind of get in the car, you don't really talk to, too much about them. But it, that was actually probably the most surprising thing. I really, uh, my, um, my driver, uh, his nickname was uh, was Barky, actually. So that was quite interesting. Uh, I think his name was, uh, yeah, his name was David, but he had like his nickname. And uh, I really got to know him. So that was kind of interesting. And then uh, you get to talk to them on the monitor, first of all. So when you roll up to the start, they really do give it some. And that Goodwood Hill, I mean, it looks like, it, I mean, it looks really like thin. It looks like really a tricky track just on YouTube when you watch the clips, but it is so tight. And literally they're giving it some, they're not like just coasting, they're properly going. I think at one point we hit over hundred miles an hour in the uh, F8 Spider. Obviously the roof is down as well. 
And it just, the best way to describe it is that it is right on the limit because it is such a tricky track because it is so thin and the crowd is on both sides. It just feels crazy. And it feels like really dangerous, almost kind of really old school because of course now in terms of Formula One, all of the tracks look so wide, but when you can see the crowd just meters away from you, it's just, yeah, it is just something else. And in terms of the speed, I mean, just when you launch straight away, your your, your head just gets like pulled back into the sea and it just, that's crazy as well. So it's just an amazing experience. But also what's crazy is that, it's over in like 50 seconds, one minute. So you just kind of have to enjoy it. And uh, I mean, yeah, that was just like a dream come true for sure, like you mentioned. Yeah, I, I can imagine, obviously, you know, you sit in a car, for those of us that haven't done 100 miles an hour, you're thinking, ah, it's not that fast in general. But when you sit on a road as narrow as the one at Goodwood, as you said, with all yeah. the crowd, it's very much like going to a, a, one of the old stage rally circuits where you're literally thinking yeah. there's a, a slight twitch or a back end stepping out away from a massive accident and yet obviously these guys are absolutely fearless and completely put the rest of us to shame by comparison we think yeah. we're good and then you sit with someone like as you said with David and it completely changes your perspective on how good some of these drivers really really are even if they're not in Formula One to be fair at one point uh, when we got to the top of the hill like, I think someone said jokingly like you know do you want to drive back and I was just straight away yep I'll do it <laughs> and then they were, and I was just like and obviously I knew it was a joke but I was like oh could you imagine like being able to drive like up that hill but even driving down actually we had to drive a little bit slower because it's kind of just the parade lap uh, to go down but even then it's just amazing and I think again it's just the amazing thing about Goodwood and the hill run is just how close the crowd is I mean it is literally like tarmac grass hay bale crowd so it's uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty sketchy but obviously you have to trust in these drivers and the cars are amazing as well so you just you're just in this kind of like dreamland when you when you're when you know for like 50 seconds and it's just amazing yeah, I mean, I've got to ask, did you get a chance to meet any of our F1 heroes while you were there? Uh, do you know what? No, not not F1 drivers, but I did get to meet a couple of uh, uh, touring car drivers and uh, things like that. Because all of the all of the guys that go in those cars up the hills are all like drivers of some kind. They've all had experience. So, yeah, I didn't get a chance. I did see Karun Chandok, actually. Obviously, he was an ex-Formula 1 driver uh, right at the end of the event. He was in like the Lotus 78, I think, round effect car, which was amazing where they did the... Uh, the run-throughs but yeah i didn't get to see uh, too many f1 drivers that's a shame well we love karun and uh, we definitely love to have him on yeah. the show one day uh, probably one of the best if not the best pundit in my opinion on he's Sky amazing yeah yeah um but yeah look let's get into the topic of discussion i could talk to you for ages aldous on your about your channel and other things as well um but the main talking point of the discussion um, outside, of course, of what happened between Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, as we said, become a bit of a moot point, was the sprint race, the first sprint race uh, that we were going to be experimenting at the British Grand Prix. Certainly was a track designed, I think, for sprint races to be rather successful. And for me, it seemed that the weekend itself, according to Ross Braun, was deemed quite a bit of, of a success. I wouldn't say it was a resounding success, but I think it was decent to say the least. I think there was a lot more positives than negatives to it. Um, you know, the race itself, there was plenty of action in the early part, but it kind of filtered out and dulled a little bit in the midsection. There were a few highlights, of course, Fernando Alonso on the softer tyres going from P11 to P5, definitely creating a lot of the action. Of course, Max Verstappen getting that early getaway to get the jump on Hamilton to eventually control that race. But, um, you know, other than that, it seemed that the sprint race kind of felt a lot like how a normal race would go, just a third of the distance. Um, Corny, I'm going to bring you into this discussion as well. Mm -hmm. um, what was your takeaway from the first sprint race? Did you enjoy it? Did you feel perhaps it was OK, but could do some work? Or were you not really a fan of the uh, this new process or experiment F1 was trying? I like the fact that they've with the sprint race format, fans obviously to go to the track, they get more of a 
they get three days worth of proper Formula One racing. Because on Friday, yeah, you get the, the practice sessions, but you don't actually get the, the proper action. Whereas like obviously Aldous, you would have you was there. So you'd have got that real feel of proper action on a Friday evening. And I think if obviously if you've just taken some time off work and you're you're getting that buzz from the Friday, you're sort of getting more value for your money, aren't you? And then you have something to look then you have obviously the sprint race on the Saturday and then the race itself on Sunday. There's I just think if you're debating whether to go to a race, I think if you have that sprint race format, it gives you more to look forward to. And it did like it was just nice to have a proper Formula One event on a on a Friday evening. Yeah, I mean, would you echo that, Aldas? Would you say because you were there that you felt it added more value to the weekend uh, rather than just going to traditional practice sessions? Yeah, 100%. Because one of the things I'd say about Silverstone is, in a strange way, the races, to me, it was probably about 60% of the entire weekend in terms of all of the sessions. Because, there, again, like I said, there's so much to do outside of the races and just hanging out with your mates and uh, doing all the stuff and seeing all the cars. Like That's the other 40% in terms of enjoying the weekend. So to have a competitive session in every single day, it really did just... I mean, it was just really, again, better for your money. Every single day there was a, um, a premier event. So we had obviously qualifying on the Friday, which was a little bit strange at first. It did feel like you almost weren't there. It, even though it was Friday, it didn't feel like Friday in a strange way. And then to have even that little mini uh, mini race on the Saturday, which was the sprint. I mean, again, for the first two laps from the grandstands, it was extremely exciting. The crowd obviously weren't too happy because obviously most of them were, uh, were Lewis Hamilton fans being the British crowd, so but so they weren't too happy. But even seeing Alonso's amazing start on the little screens at the end of the race, so that definitely delivered on the, uh, on the Saturday. And I feel like on the Sunday, obviously, again, when you have the... That, that's what everyone's looking forward to. That's when there is the most people for the race. And again, the race was really great as well, from the grandstand especially, uh, to get the just the feel of the crowd. So... It was, uh, yeah, I think it was a really big success. Obviously, when I got back and actually watched the entire weekend in, in its entirety in terms of every single session, for sure there were, I think it's it was always better from the grandstand than maybe with the actual race itself. So that's maybe one of the things where maybe the crash with Lewis and Max, which we're going to get to in a bit, I'm sure, maybe it made it a little bit better than it was, but certainly being there, it was it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you were saying that you know, there's a large proportion of the weekend was centered around this, of course, owing to changes to the calendar for F2 and F3. And of course, the W Series now being included on the F1 calendar, which is brilliant, of course, because so much great racing in that W Series. There's so many great women drivers. Jamie Chadwick, um, great example, um, you know, and Alice Powell, of course, doing so well at Silverstone this weekend. Um, it's great to have the ladies on board as well adding to the event so even if you didn't have the sprint race you're still going to get a lot of racing going on over the course of the weekend when you're there in attendance yeah and you know what the one that the, the kind of because uh, again there's loads of racing going on like w series f2 and f1 but the one that stuck out to me was actually this um historic uh these historic race cars not formula cars but historic just cars like uh, shelby cobras and mustangs and uh lotus lands and there was like different race cars from different eras like 60s and 70s and 80s and to hear them uh there was a corvette stingray it was unbelievable it was so loud i mean it was even louder than the formula one car so there's so much different racing going on and obviously those cars are all over the place just losing it on the back on the back end because i was sat at, at the uh, final corner in club and yeah, definitely there was a few little shaky moments, a few spins as well. So there's just so much to see. And I feel like, again, from a fan's perspective, I feel like the sprint quality format definitely delivered. We saw quite a bit of excitement uh, both in the sprint. And I don't think it actually took away from some of the excitement in the race in terms of from the fans perspective being there. Every single lap, there was something to uh, something to look for and all of the racing was really great. So I think, again, 
in terms of the for, for a first time, I think it was a big success. I still think there is a few things that could be changed. I'm just it still felt a bit weird when Lewis Hamilton got his pole on the Friday, but it and it was a really great lap because obviously he managed to beat Max Verstappen, who was on a bit of a roll at that point in terms of the season. But the fact that it wasn't pole position and it didn't mean as much, it was like the lap didn't feel as good as it probably was, if that makes sense. So maybe that, you know, maybe you can kind of take away a little bit from there. But overall, I thought it was, uh, yeah, overall, I, th- I agree. Well, I think it was a success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the historic cars, though, because um, obviously the pictures we were seeing was Charles Leclerc driving the, the uh, Ferrari, obviously the first Ferrari that won a Grand Prix in Formula 1 back in 1951, yeah. uh, Jose Gonzalez. So um, it's a shame Charles couldn't repeat that feat in the same way Fernando Alonso did that for the 60th anniversary in 2011 when he went on to win. I think that was the only race Ferrari won that season in 2011 at the British Grand Prix. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it was the one weekend where I don't think the Red Bulls were, there was something to do with the double diffuser. I don't think they were allowed to use it that weekend or something like that. There was something special about that weekend with Red Bull. I forget specifically what it was, but yeah, that was the only win that Fernando Alonso took uh, in the 2011 Ferrari, which again, wasn't like, wasn't really that great of a car, but yeah, there was just Charles Leclerc though. He was almost there. I mean, even the crowd were cheering him on a little bit as well. There was a few Ferrari fans that were just like cheering him on all the way and to lose it. I think what two or three laps before the end, I kind of felt sorry for him because he had such an amazing weekend from start to finish. And it's still obviously a great result, but seeing Lewis chase him down at the end of the race, it was just something else. And the crowd went just crazy. And the fact that it happened at at Cops as well, where him and Max had that crash, it was just, everyone was on the edge of their seat, like not again. Uh, But yeah, it all turned out uh, good in the end. Yeah, I think they probably put that one down to Charles giving Lewis a little bit more space than Max did. And also the rear end of that Ferrari clearly (laughs) isn't as good as the Red Bulls, hence why it had a bit of a wobble. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, you were talking earlier about the Friday night qualifying Aldous. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of enjoyed that. There's, I mean, growing up um, watching Friday night football and other events like that on a Friday night, F1's never really dabbled in that sort of thing. Uh, at least before the Friday qualifying sessions they used to have years and years ago. Um, I've never been a fan of F1 trying to experiment and qualify too much. I think we have a working system that is probably the best version of qualifying we've ever had. Um, and I don't like it when F1 feels like they need to tamper with it too much. But um, obviously the highlight, of course, Hamilton getting pole position on a Friday night Silverstone was always brilliant. Um, Courtney, what was the other highlight for you? Because I, I feel like I want to say George Russell, but I'm sure there are probably other standout ones as well for you. I think we saw some of the battles. We probably saw more battles in the sprint race than we actually expected. I expected the drivers to be, just to play it safe, it's a new format and get through. But I actually saw some of the drivers were quite desperate to um, to obviously get a few positions on the grid. But going back on the, the, the sort of going forward with the format, do you guys reckon it might be a good idea to maybe award a couple of points for that Friday pole? Maybe that could be something that could maybe help the, the format going forward. I think it's it's interesting because they're trying to hand out points for quite a few things. Obviously, Spring yeah. Quali had uh, had points, but my only worry would that be is that it would just give more points to the leaders. So it's kind of one of those. And again, the the big, I mean, it would obviously only be, I'm guessing, on on sprint on Spring Quali events because if you start giving points for pole, then there's a chance mm-hmm. that in Abu Dhabi someone could win the championship on the Saturday. So it's definitely an interesting one. But I feel like. To be fair, I'm kind of indifferent about it because whether whether they give points or not, as long as the championship is close and the drivers clearly want all the points they can get because you have like even Red Bull uh, pitting Sergio Perez just that Lewis house just so that Lewis doesn't get the points. So for yeah. the teams, it would be huge. I think it would be what kind of effect would it have on the championship? I'm not sure, but if it would have a positive effect, then 
yeah, I mean, it's definitely something they could try, and maybe maybe it is what they need just uh, just to really that extra motivation of having points in in quality to make it even more exciting. So yeah, I definitely could see that happening actually. Yeah, I mean, I think the sprint race kind of won me over because I was very much one of those traditionalist fans that felt it could tarnish what happens on a Sunday and it could devalue qualifying. Uh, And to a degree, it kind of did. I think if Lewis Hamilton didn't get on pole and George Russell didn't put in that mega Q3 performance getting P8, I think it was, I think that would have sort of sullied over something that was already working for us. And I think hardcore fans probably don't want to mess with. But I think when you judge the sprint race as a whole, I think when you look at the order, I think only three drivers finished the sprint race in the same position they started. I think there was Bottas, Leclerc and Esteban Ocon as well. So it did create some variety to it. Um, it did create, of course, that jeopardy, that um, casualty in Sergio Perez when he spun off at Chapel. Um, and that ruined his race on the Sunday. And I feel like the sprint race is meant to serve that risk to some teams and drivers to a degree that of course, you can go for it. But if you get it horribly wrong, it's going to wreck your entire weekend. So there's always that added element. I mean, you can take that as a positive or negative if you want. But um, so it did create that level of uh, variety to it. I mean, some of our followers did say they enjoyed it, but I think most of them did say they wanted some tweaks. Um, Aldas, are there any sort of tweaks that you'd like to see introduced to the sprint race, assuming that it gets the go ahead next season and perhaps they do it at five or six events next season? Um, Because I don't think we're going to have it everywhere, are we? No, there's only two more remaining for this year. And if they go well, there's definitely one at Monza. And there's one there's one more that's, I think, unconfirmed. Do you know what? I've actually been thinking about this in terms of what changes I would like, but I'm kind of stuck a little bit. I I don't I don't really have too many uh, kind of big ideas because in terms of quality, the one thing that I did want is I, I like the fact that the person who gets the fastest lap starts at the front, but you can't really change that because that's the point of spring quality, because otherwise, uh, what's the point of having the race? You know, are you just going to do like whoever qualifies on? We still have a sprint race, but it's exactly what it is in qualifying, but the qualifying result is still who starts on pole. So it's a little bit of a strange one. I don't have too many ideas in terms of what they can change. I mean... Uh, yeah, I'm, honest, I'm kind of indifferent about what kind of what kind of things they can change. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do kind of tweak because I'm sure Ross Braun and other fans out there want to see something a little bit different in terms of some of the things that can be changed. I think the tire compound is probably the one thing that I definitely can think of because I'm not a big fan of the of everyone starting the race on on uh, fresh tires because I feel like it. I, I really like the uh, whole whoever makes it into Q3 has to start on their Q2 tires because it kind of mixes up. It kind of gives a bit of an advantage to some of those midfield guys also allows some of the teams to play a few little games in terms of, you know, maybe it's better to start in P10 and P11. So that's probably the only thing that I think might be uh, might be good to tweak in terms of not giving the front runners such a massive advantage of being able to start on fresh tyres. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of felt to me that, as you mentioned, the tyre strategy kind of goes out the window almost um, in terms of trying to create that variety in the pecking order because, as I said, Q2 is so important to dictate what tyres the top 10 start on in the main race. And owing to the fact that they all got the free tyre choice, it does eliminate um, some opportunities in strategy where some of the guys starting outside the top 10 can go onto the harder tyres on a track like Silverstone, where it could pay a benefit to try and do a one-stopper if you can. I mean, a lot of them did end up doing the one-stopper, which was a bit of a surprise given what we saw last season. But I know the tyres are a bit more robust than they were last year. So I suppose that's something. Um, Courtney. I want to pitch some ideas uh, about how I think they could improve the sprint race, but I want to give you an opportunity to try and see if you can pitch in a few more as well, if you want to. I think the circus that they choose is paramount, whether it works or not. Um, I think at Monza, I think Monza, it could be a very good idea because we see what happens in Q3 
when everyone's trying to avoid the slipstream. Do you remember when Charles Leclerc got pole a couple of years ago? And it, it was it was a joke, wasn't it? The whole mm. thing was an absolute joke. So 2019, because, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a bit of a shambles, wasn't it? So I think with the sprint with the sprint qualifying, I think that could really make. Well, Monza's a fantastic circuit. It's a fantastic weekend, but. The one downside it was in 2019 was the qualifying. So hopefully the spring qualifying will actually make the weekend a lot more better. And we do have this issue with some of these modern circuits where the, where the race weekend can be a bit drab. So hopefully maybe maybe trial it in a couple of these um, newer circuits and hopefully it gives us a better weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think the circuit that they're considering using for the third sprint race, I think is Brazil, but... I'll be honest with you guys, I'd be very, very surprised owing to mm. the COVID situation in Brazil that they're going to have a race there. Um, and I think people are saying yeah. it might be a uh, Cota now instead of Brazil, like uh, as kind of like a backup mm. option. So, yeah, but I think definitely Courtney, I think he nailed it. The circuits are paramount because, I mean, could you imagine like a sprint, a sprint quality in Monaco, just another stint of Monaco? I mean, the, the first <laughs> lap would be great. But then it would literally be, and I mean, no one's going to dive down the inside of Monaco. So it would literally be like 16 or 20 laps because Monaco is a lot shorter than Silverstone. 20 laps of just nothing. So yeah, the circuits are paramount. Yeah. I mean, was it always saying you can't win the race going first into Sandoval or going for it, something like that? <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, I've seen a YouTube video uh, in the past, I think it was an F1 2012, where someone was showing like red flags were so rare, but you could get one at Monaco where everyone just crashes into each other. And then in the end, you've got like two cars left on the grid from the restart. I'm hoping for, well, I'm not hoping for that, obviously, but I can imagine a scenario where someone just gets desperate and then, yeah, it'd be chaos at somewhere like Monaco, or you just get a procession where everyone just follows in a queue for 20 minutes and nobody's enjoying that. Um, But yeah, I, I would like to see them borrow some ideas from what they do in F2 and F3. For example, I like Friday qualifying. I think that did work to a degree because of the drama and obviously what we saw at Silverstone. Um, but obviously pole position, that has to be the award, not the speed king, if you like, because they had to give Lewis Hamilton something for setting the fastest time at the weekend. Um, I thought that was a joke, yeah. by the way. I, I saw that on social media at first. I thought it was someone was just jo- like joking. And then when I actually saw that it was actually on the award, I was just like, oh my God, that is so cringe. Well, the, the best that definitely needs to be changed. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the weirdest part for me was obviously when Max won the sprint race and they paraded it around on a coach with the old reefs that they used to hand out years ago. And I'm like, this just, I, yeah. I quite like that. You I, did. I'm in the minority there. I, I thought that was kind of cool. It was a throwback. I actually quite like that. You know yeah. what? But I must say, though, I must say, do you reckon when Lewis Hamilton retires and like you look through his, um, his wiki page, it'll be, I don't know, 120 wins. 125 poles and then two Speed King awards. Do you imagine the scene on this wiki page? Oh, definitely. There's going to be a big <laughs> asterisk next there saying this one was in the sprint race. This wasn't actually pole position. Because, I mean, you could have a compilation video of Lewis Hamilton's pole position, about two hours long, all 100 or so of them. And then it, in theory, it would include that one as well. But obviously, if he did won the sprint race, it just shows his final lap in the sprint race and he's got Max trying to pass him. I was like, it just, it just wouldn't look right. But um, no, I think a good idea I think they should borrow from F2 is make Friday qualifying determine the grid order for the race on Sunday or the main event, if you like. Because I think, you know, it, it, doesn't root, it doesn't mess with what qualifying is about, what we love about qualifying. And of course, we can keep the format with Q1, Q2, Q3, and of course, the tyres as well. I'm pretty sure F1 could do something like that. I, I do think as well that if you want to determine the grid order for the sprint race, you don't want to use qualifying. Why not just take the top 10 from the main race beforehand, reverse that like they did in, like they do in F2 
Um, and then everyone from 11 to 20 starts there because and you you get sort of a bit of a reverse order that some fans have obviously wanted. I know some fans want a full reverse grid. I think with these cars, that's never going to work anyway. And I don't think I'd enjoy it after the novelty wears off. But something like that where you can create some variety and then there's some points on offer and drivers can go for it without risking ruining their race on Sunday because it doesn't determine the grid order for that race as well. I mean, Aldous, what would you say to... F1 perhaps borrowing some ideas from F2 or Formula 3 like in that manner. So it's very interesting that you bring up the, the reverse grid because obviously there might, there, there's quite a few fans that would love to see that. But one of the things that Formula 1 did is that they can't just they can't just put these ideas and kind of go with them. It has to be like voted by the teams and, and Formula 1 actually also surveys the fans as well. And one of the things that Ross Braun said is that overall... Uh, Formula One fans actually didn't like the idea of reverse grid and the teams definitely did not like the, the reverse grid idea because in Formula One, there's a constructors championship we, and you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be deterred from, uh, from making a good car. You should be rewarded. And that's the entire ethos of Formula One. So that's the reason why uh, reverse, reverse grids in any kind of form have never been, uh, have never been kind of put, put, put through. And also now with the cost cap, especially if you, if there is a reverse grid, if anyone crashes in that sprint quality with the reverse grid, I mean, they're going to be absolutely fuming because that is part of their cost cap. So uh, it was estimated that the damage from uh, from Red Bull for Max Verstappen's car was around 750, like thousand euros, I think it was. And that goes part of their, that's part of their development uh, money. That's part of the cost cap. So that's why the teams are really against. And that's why I don't think it's ever going to get through in terms of uh, being voted in, in terms of having, having reverse grids. I think it would be a cool idea to see, but... To me, it's kind of it kind of goes against the the point of having a constructors championship because Red Bull, Max Verstappen, rightly so, has been on pole position for quite a few of the races. He's the one that's winning the championship because Red Bull finally have a good enough car. Finally, they have developed a car better than Mercedes, and they should be rewarded for it. Now, although it doesn't always give us the best racing, you get that's that's the argument there. You know what's what's true to Formula One and what represents Formula One, but what also gives us exciting racing to watch. So there's a there's a fine balance. There's a fine balance, I think, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's important you mentioned the cost cap. And of course, because that collision uh, obviously, you know, costs so much money for Red Bull to sort out. Literally, almost like getting a brand new car. You'd probably write that off if you had to go for an MOT. But um, I mean, if, for 750k, like, I, that better yeah. be a brand new car. <laughs> well, if you're Max Verstappen, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, all the shiny buffers and everything. But um, the Bottas Russell incident in Imola, I think that cost like 2 million euros between the two teams. And Mercedes probably wouldn't have been happy footing a lot of that bill, especially when it's their two drivers in theory in that incident, of course, affects their development for the rest of the season, as perhaps it's paid dividends to Red Bull in the way that it's stepped and flow in this championship. But um, Courtney, would you agree to that? What Aldous was making the point about, you know, they, they engaged with F1 fans through the server a few years ago. And I think one of the points that F1 fans unanimously moted, uh, voted down on was F1 not creating artificial methods to try and change the racing order, such as reverse grids. I fully agree about the Constructors' Championship thing as well. Um, I think it's so easy to get carried away with the race spectacle and trying to bring new fans in and actually forget one of the most important things in Formula One is actually rewarding innovation. And these innovations go on to help road cars. You know, I think sometimes people underestimate the importance of Formula One. You know, we've got some of the greatest minds in engineering in the world and they're contributing to this spectacle. And I just think, you know, you if you were to take away the reward for that, you're, you're kind of taking away a good chunk of the soul of Formula One. So it's really important that we continue to respect that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to the engines, I know that it's doing a great impact for the environment. And of course, everyone wants to become carbon neutral as F1 is definitely changing for that. I think Ferrari and Mercedes have already achieved that to a degree and other teams obviously following suit quite, uh, which is always a good thing. But sometimes I feel like, you know, try and be environmentally friendly, but the noise of those engines, I always miss those that V10 era, even the V8s. I'm sure there's a compromise. Of course, we'll have to wait and see what they agree for the 2025 engines as well. Um, let's move on because I think we're all kind of in agreement. I think the sprint race, it can work in theory, but I think it just needs some sort of tweaking. And I think we can all be delighted to say that at least keeping an open mind has paid dividends to this race because it, it would have been very easy from a business perspective and f1 is a business let's not forget that if they're not going to make money from this they're not going to put you know not going to fright that shove it down our throats just for the sake of oh well we've come up this idea we want you guys to enjoy it but um it seemed to be relatively successful um when you weigh it up across the whole weekend yeah i feel like it's a good start i mean we're kind of talking about tweaks and stuff and what can be changed it's a good start i feel like ross Bourne is obviously very happy um but again i do feel I wonder what part of um, the Lewis and Max crash on the Sunday did it did it play in the fact that of us saying and us calling it a success because did it mask maybe a few of the of, of the downfalls of uh, of spring quality but also at the same time because we saw something very similar at the beginning of spring quality uh, with Lewis and Max battling battling on lap one so in the same way that maybe spring quality maybe took a tiny bit out of the race and maybe it gave something different to the race because both Lewis and Max knew that especially Lewis, obviously he knew I have to get this move done on the first lap because otherwise Max is going to run away with it. So it's kind of, there's been a few positives. I feel like that spring quality, um, that spring quality gave to the race and maybe a few negatives as well. But I think as we've been talking overall, I think it's been, I think it's been positive, but I do also look forward to seeing what kind of uh, changes they can make. Hmm. No, definitely. And as you said, you pointed out, one thing it did give us was a scenario where Lewis obviously realized because of what Max did to him in the sprint race, he's got to try and do something similar because he knows if he couldn't get him, there's every chance that Max would have just driven off and he wouldn't have been able to catch him as it happened in the sprint race. Um, but let's get on to that incident. Um, Courtney and I have obviously in our last episode, we discussed this in quite a bit of depth. I know you've done a video on this as well, but for the benefit of the audience that haven't seen that video, Aldous, how did you see that incident go down between Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton? Oh boy. <laughs> I've done <laughs> it now. Begin with this one? <laughs> I've pulled yeah. the pin. So uh, here's the grenade. Overall, I mean, overall, when I was watching it, I knew that Lewis was going to get a penalty straight away because that's, that's the precedent that the FIA have been setting. And that's what, and I just knew it was going to happen because if Lando got a penalty in Austria and then Checo as well with what, um, sorry, with, with what he did uh, with Charles Leclerc in Austria as well, if, if those uh, got a penalty, then yeah, that one was also going to get a penalty. But the more I look back on it, the more I also understand why some people might think it was a racing incident because at the end of the day, although Lewis maybe was a little bit desperate to get that overtaking move done. He was side by side at one point, And although he was never in front, he did deserve a little bit of space, but at the same time he went wide, uh, obviously cold. You, you, you've got to realize cold tires, hundred kilograms of fuel right at the exactly. beginning of the race. He was on the dirty part of the track as well, because uh, Max sent him onto the inside. So all of these things meant that he was never going to hit the apex. So a massive part of the, uh, a massive part of it has to be on Lewis Hamilton as well. But the one thing I've always, I, I said as well is that for Max to be so aggressive and to cut him off, like, uh, like he did, the, 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 what I thought from Max perspective is that if I was in his car and I knew that Lewis Hamilton was going to go wide and, and if also, if I knew that I was ahead of Lewis the entire time, 
he's he was. I don't think Lewis was ever going to overtake take, overtake Max to be honest. And with the amount of runoff that is on the outside of Cobbs, if I I think that if Max Verstappen just kind of even if he ran wide and ran over the white line, he was ahead of the entire time. He would have never had to give the position back to Lewis. So he had that that comfort blanket of knowing that he didn't need to stay to the track. He could run a little bit wide. And he didn't. Uh, he decided not to do that and decided to really be aggressive against Lewis. But I think at the end of the day, although I do agree with the 10-second penalty, I also understand why people like Karun Chanhok and uh, Mika Hakkinen and uh, loads of other drivers as well, and why they said uh, that it was, you know, in their eyes, and Damon Hill as well, why it was a racing incident, because we're talking about two of the most aggressive drivers on the grid, two of the best drivers on the grid, fighting a very, very difficult world championship, and they just went for it. They both went for it. They were both aggressive, both giving absolutely no quarter, both basically saying, I'm not going to let him through. I'm not going to make it easy. And they touched. They were both at fault in some way. Lewis Moore, in my opinion. So that is why I understand the 10 second penalty. I also would have would have understood if they said that it was a racing incident. I feel like the way it ended and the fact that it was cops and the fact that it was such a big corner and it was such a big crash, I feel like that's why almost the uh, the fallout from it, all of the negativity that's come towards Lewis Hamilton, that's the biggest reason for it. But at the same time, there's also been a lot said about the fact that, you know, Lewis, like Lewis put Max in hospital and, and all of these things. But at the time, Lewis and, and also him celebrating as well. But he did not know that after the time. That's been a really big narrative that I disagree with because Lewis asked on the team radio when he went past the accident, the next lap, he was like, you know, is Max okay? And Bono says, yeah, Max is out of the car. So that's all Lewis knows. And at the end of the day, I feel like the biggest reason why there has been such a negative kind of reaction to this is because Lewis won. He won the race. He had the he had the pace the entire weekend, and he still managed, even with a 10-second penalty, to win the race. Valtteri was getting nowhere near Charles Leclerc the entire time. So from Mercedes, I totally understand why they would switch, uh, switch their cars. And if Lewis doesn't win the race, if he finishes in third, I'm not sure there is as big of a, as big of a reaction, but the stewards can't preempt that. The stewards don't know that Lewis with a 10 second penalty is still going to win. And you can't, you can't just say, oh, because Max, because uh, Lewis crashed Max and Max is not going to score anything. That's it. We have to completely ruin Lewis's race because then it's a really strange way of judging. I feel like, again, there's blame on both sides and there's also a big reaction from both of their fan bases because both Max and Lewis have really maybe too loyal and maybe too kind of energetic fan bases at times. And there's been a few, obviously, uh, bad things said as well. So it's just a really kind of strange incident. It's the entire kind of world of Formula One has had a really strange vibe over the last week. So I'm kind of just like, to me, yeah, Lewis was at fault. He got a 10 second penalty. He still won the race because he had the pace, but I'm just like, that's it, you know, just 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 move on from, like, from this one. Yeah, I mean, there's a really lot of good points. I mean, you were talking about, obviously Lewis's reaction he wasn't aware Max was in the hospital until he was told after the race and obviously he did do his due diligence as a fellow competitor and you know as a caring human being just to make sure that Max is okay on team radio um Courtney obviously you've weighed in on this with me you've obviously had uh, quite a bit of time to look over this again and see if you've had a change of mind on this but one really good point I think that's been pointed out by a lot of people is that because of the nature of the incident, whether you thought it was a racing incident or perhaps it was an obvious error from Hamilton or Verstappen, you know, could have done perhaps given Lewis a little bit more room because he only gave him enough for his car and probably not much more. Um, do you feel that the outcome of an incident should be taken into consideration when deciding not just if it's a penalty, but also how severe it is? I think that's a potentially dangerous road to go down because you know, there, there are so many factors that have led up to that incident. You know, 
when they crashed that and we, we were we were messaging and, and I said that's that that incident has been a long time coming because there's been a few times this season where Max has got his elbow elbows out to say the least and if Lewis had reacted the way he did on Sunday we'd have had several crashes at least and obviously I'm pleased that Max is okay but I think the thing that's vital from this is that next time Lewis and Max come together or they could potentially come together Max will have this incident in the back of his mind. So in terms of the mind games in this championship, it will change things. So the so with the penalty itself, I think it was the, the right penalty to give because I just think like you can't... The first lap is, you know, the, is one of the most entertaining parts of, the, of the, the race. And you don't want... You don't really want to be in a position where you're seeing the drivers not going for it because they're scared of having a penalty every time. Yes, the, the, the consistency is important. So that's why I'm pleased he did get a penalty of salt because I think if, if that was, if he wasn't given a penalty at all, you'd have had other incidents in the future where other drivers will, will be saying, well, Lewis didn't get a penalty for that. Why am I? So the consistency is important. But I just think the whole incident itself is it was a long time coming. And to be honest, I was quite disappointed with the reaction. Um, me and you spoke before. I was quite disappointed with Max Verstappen's post. Yes, he, he had every right to be angry about the race incident itself. But what I didn't like is that he posted on social media, basically claiming that Lewis was celebrating knowing he was in hospital. And I just think that sets a dangerous precedent. I think some of the rhetoric coming from him and Red Bull, it created a lot of negativity where they didn't really need to be. Yeah, and, and there's always that fear that, this is going to allow people an excuse to try and attack and abuse drivers, um, you know, through racism or other avenues as well. You know, very, very disgusting narratives to take from those people who aren't real fans of the sport. It must be said, um, hopefully that, you know, that can be eradicated as soon as possible. But, um, you know, I, I always feel in these sorts of incidents that an opportunity has arisen now for uh, the karma heads, if you like, at the FIA, the stewards, perhaps to sit, both parties down, Mercedes, Red Bull, Horner, Wolf, Hamilton, Verstappen, to just say, look, we know this is a tightly contested championship. I think as fans, we're massively excited at the prospect of this going to the final race, the final lap of the final corner. And we so hope it does, regardless of the outcome. And it seems that tensions have been boiling for a while now. We saw events happen um, in Imola. Of course, Bahrain, of course, let's not forget that. Imola, where Max pushed Lewis quite a lot. But obviously, you know, very aggressive to get that move at the start of the race. Portimao, Lewis did the same thing to Max in response. And then, of course, we saw in Spain, Max going for that move on Lewis into turn one. It has been building for a time to a point where neither of them were going to give up. They both gambled. Perhaps they could have done a, a little bit more to be more courteous to each other to avoid that incident. But it was going to happen. And I suppose it's now set a precedence where... The gloves potentially are off now between these two and we could see this sort of thing happening a little bit more and in the sort of sphere of social media that we have that we didn't have when the likes of Senna and Prost were fighting, Alonso and Hamilton were fighting, that it is is very, very similar to what we, what we saw then. So, I mean, Aldous, do you feel that this could potentially blow over into more incidents, potentially perhaps at Hungary at a track we're probably expecting Red Bull to do well, so Mercedes and Hamilton might have to try and gamble again or do you feel that karma heads are going to prevail and they'll just you know reset everything and then just go and be more respectful to each other when the championship is on the line when they're racing wheel to wheel so aggressively i feel like the calm head just goes away because so far this season except for silverstone 
whenever Max has been ultra aggressive against Spain is probably the best example. Lewis has backed out of it. He's always thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll let him have this one in terms of uh, that particular position or that particular corner and that particular overtake. But Silverstone was one of those cases where both drivers decided, I'm not backing down from this one. I'm, I'm going to give him, Max only gave Lewis enough space for him to, for if he was on the racing line, which he was not. And Lewis back, and Lewis was obviously side by side the entire time and then backed out right at the end, but he didn't want to give Max too much space either. And it was just, that is why that incident was so close. And that's why it happened because two drivers right on top of their game, so aggressive in terms of overtaking, never wanting to give up. That kind of cost both of them in the end. And I could definitely see this happening again. In fact, I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen again, because I don't see, I don't really see both of these drivers looking at this and thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to give him more space next time. I think they're going to go ultra. They're just going to keep that intensity. They're going to keep being really aggressive because that's that's just how they're wired. Like Lewis Hamilton, what was it, 2016 or 2015, I remember, in uh, in the USA. Even he ran like Rosberg super wide. So that's that's still the same Lewis Hamilton. Max Verstappen has also been ultra aggressive in his overtaking moves. We've seen more. We've definitely seen that more than once. So... Yeah, again, I'd be surprised. I've been surprised that it didn't get any closer, uh, you know, just just even leading up to Silverstone. But I feel like Lewis Hamilton has been a little bit more passive, a little bit more thinking uh, in terms of the long term. And Silverstone was just like, I'm going to get through lap one. I need to get through and I need to win this because otherwise I'm going to fall even further behind in the championship. So, yeah, Hungary is going to be very interesting. I feel like Red Bull are going to be very strong around that track, especially with Max and... um, it's another one of those tracks where turn one, turn two, that kind of three, four configuration, it definitely allows cars to go side by side. It also allows cars to be run wide as well, kind of into the grass. So I think, could we see another incident like this? I mean, maybe they're going to be a tiny bit more conservative in Hungary, but I think we're going to see another incident like this. Or certainly, maybe not Maybe not in terms of, the, of a 51G crash, because I think that's more towards uh, the fact that it was at Cops in such a quick track. But I definitely predict that there's going to be more fireworks throughout the season. Yeah. And let's not forget somewhere like Hungary with its sort of street track like nature to it, that Ferrari and McLaren could become more of a factor in that as well. So it could force them to try and take a gamble to avoid being beaten by one of those teams and affect their championship even more. Um, Courtney, similar question to you. How do you see this going for the rest of the season? Do you think that we're going to see more incidents like this or do you feel that? they're going to offer a bit more respect to each other owing to the fact that we've got Verstappen who's throwing everything at this to try and win a world championship. And Lewis Hamilton is driving like someone now that is not just thinking about the long term, but also driving as if he's never won a world championship either. Yeah. I fully expect to see uh, more incidents like we saw last week. Um, I'm also expecting things to continue to boil between Christian Orner and Toto Wolff. I mean, up until Silverstone, I think there's actually been a, a, a decent level of respect between Lewis and Max. Actually, the main rival we've been seeing is actually between the two teams. And well, we we saw we we heard the pair of them on the radio. So both, both obviously trying to get the points across. Toto Wolf with his emails, you know. So I really do expect most of the tension has been between the the team principals. And I think that's actually going to. I reckon it's really going to blow up between them two before we see it happen between Lewis and Max. Yeah, I mean, I can see Aldous, obviously, you're smiling, trying not to laugh when you're hearing that. And uh, I don't know about you, um, obviously got to weigh in on this as well, Aldous, between these two, but it's a bit like a soap opera drama or something. Boxing. <laughs> Maybe there's room, because in, in the era now of YouTube boxers um, entering the scene and making a lot of money, that perhaps we need to get someone like Eddie Hearn involved in F1 and get Christian Horner and Total Wolf have a go a few rounds for charity. What do you reckon? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I know who my money would be on, that's for sure, in that fight. <laughs> Definitely Toto, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of strange. I feel like they're both very, very intense individuals. They're both, 
I mean, obviously, Toto has been uh, kind of king of the hill ever since he became a team principal in 2014 full time for Mercedes. He, ha he hasn't actually lost a championship. So uh, that's kind of crazy. And Christian Horner is such a he's, he's a controversial team principal, but he's a good one. He, there's no there's no way around it. I mean, the success that he had and the fact that he's kept Red Bull as a top team when you've had like McLaren go up and down. Ferrari even have gone up and down like a Ferrari, a top team. Like they are obviously a top team, but in terms of battling for wins and championships, they're not at the moment. So they're up and down as well. Red Bull have, has always been a top two, top three team, maybe. And, and obviously this year, they're number one. So he's a very competitive man. He wants to win this championship so bad because final final year of, uh, of Honda as well to win one with Max because Max expects championships. He's also been given the car, so pressure, pressure is on it. His shoulders as well. He's got the best car on the grid and he needs to deliver. So, yeah, that Toto versus Christian Horner uh, rivalry is going to be so interesting. I mean, they have been kind of like a little cat fight there and then. And in Silverstone, it's like full on like war of words because Christian's like, you know, I hope Lewis Hamilton is happy with himself and Toto Wolf is just like trying to calm the situation down. So, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's just, it's good for Formula One. It, it's a nice rivalry to have both on and off the track with the uh, drivers and the team principals. And uh, we'll see who's uh, laughing at the end of the year, I suppose, with uh, who wins the championship. Yeah, I mean, it's something we haven't seen in a while. So I think that F1 fans love the drama. In fact, we see it in other sports. F1, they're always a bit too respectful, at least in front of the cameras until we watch Drive to Survive. Then we see the actual fallout. I mean, I'm looking forward to the next version, the next series of it when it comes out later. Oh in the year. my God, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. But <laughs> you just me, know Netflix, yeah. you, you just know Netflix were watching Silverstone, like, oh, here we go. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I can literally we see the money. setting up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be, literally be setting up cameras everywhere um, just to get, yeah. you can't miss a moment of that. Um, I'll be surprised how they're going to edit that episode i think that's just going to need a series itself what happened at britain well, i think they need to edit it will they just raw content right there yeah it's literally its own series on its own but courtney before we move on to the final part of this podcast um i've got to ask you who would win in a boxing match christian or soto oh toto all day long christian order would be able to talk himself out of that one <laughs> <laughs> i think I'm, the bigger question yeah. is how many rounds do you think christian horner could hold on against toto i, I think all it takes would be for Christian Horner to give some of his lip and then just be a one-strike knockout, I think. Well, I think you'd have to get him a stepladder first because I don't think they'd be in the same weight class. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I imagine Toto's got quite a reach and I don't think Christian's yeah. the same, but uh, I, I've got this kind of scrappy-do vibe with Christian Horner that he'd be one of those who just, <laughs> as a big boxer, you just won't want to mess with him because they just won't quit. They just keep swinging at you. But, um, no, that would be interesting to see. For, and for charity as well, I don't think F1 could go wrong. But um, for the final part of this podcast, um, Aldous, we put out on our social medias uh, for some of our followers to chuck in a few questions that we're going to ask you now. So um, obviously, if I haven't read your question, guys, I do apologise. Uh, incidentally, actually, before I forget, put in the comments below, guys, who you think would win in the charity boxing match between Toto and Christian. Get it trending. Why not? So, um, make us relevant for once. But uh, yeah, let me know what you think. <laughs> Um, so first question, Aldous, um, is from our friends at Dive Bomb Podcast, our Canadian friends across the pond. Um, they've mentioned the Verstappen-Hamilton incident. And do they've asked, should the, the penalties or at least the direction in which they determine a penalty should be a bit more straightforward for fans to understand? Or do you feel it's fine the way it is? I've actually... <sighs> I actually kind of wish it was a little bit more relaxed, to be honest. I feel like, but, it, but also having said that, there's been a lot of kind of uh, incidents over the past few years where people have kind of asked for penalties and they haven't happened. But then 
they seem to, especially in the last three, four years, they seem to have gotten a lot more strict or certainly they, they love handing out time penalties. I mean, we don't really see drive-throughs and stuff. And I actually quite like that. I feel like that was actually something that a lot of people were asking for Lewis Hamilton to get like a stop go or drive-through. I disagree with that. I think that should only be for someone who like almost just dives really late. Like literally just dives really late and clips the car. That was not what happened. Lewis was uh, was alongside the entire time. Max knew where he was. So that's the only time I think there should be such a harsh penalty. So but in, the, but in the grand scheme of things, I think with stuff like Norris and with Norris and Perez, what happened there and with, even with this one to an extent, I in both occasions, I would not mind if they gave a, a racing incident. I feel like a penalty maybe should only be when someone is just completely out of control. That maybe you, you, They never saw them coming, basically, and they had no control of their car. So in that situation, I, I would kind of agree with that. But I understand why they're being maybe a little bit more harsher on penalties because they want to set a precedent in terms of we don't want to see people being crashed off and want to see clean racing more than anything else. But I, I'd like to see it maybe relaxed a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I can agree to that because I feel that that particular incident between Norris and Perez, I think the stewards took 16 laps um, to decide if it was a penalty or not. And then they said it was noted and then they decided it was a penalty all of a sudden. So there's definitely scope, I think, to make their job easier. And I think for the fans to sort of understand the reasons why they give penalties a little bit better not necessarily reacting if they agree with it or not so there's definitely I think some scope to work on in that regard um the next question a lot of our followers put this one in so um I'm gonna put you on the spot who do you think is gonna who do you think is gonna win this championship Hamilton or Verstappen (laughs) and I think there's a follow-up and I think there's a follow-up do you think Verstappen needs to win this championship this year to cement his legacy perhaps um no i don't no 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 i don't think that's true at all i think that's that that's almost thinking a little bit too much in the moment this would be a big one i mean if he did lose this one i definitely think it would be quite a big part of his legacy because he does have the best car there's no doubt about it over the cross the entire season the mercedes is good they have like one more little mini upgrade package coming and that's it red bull are all in on this year they're going to keep developing this car so I don't think it's going to be make or break for his legacy because what is the guy's 23 24 20 yeah, i forget right, now yeah. what max is I mean, if he wins the next 10 titles, is that, are we going to, you know, just, just like kind of like alternative universe, if he wins the next 10 titles, are we going to look back and say, oh, you know, but he's not an 11 time world champion because he lost back in 2021. So no, he's too young for it to be kind of legacy defining at this point, but who do I think is going to win this title? The problem is, is that obviously Max at the moment looks like the favorite because even though Lewis is caught up, he's got the best car. He's on a roll. He's, if you actually take away Baku where he got unlucky in this race where he got crashed out, He's been close to flawless, like little mistakes like in Bahrain, maybe, but Max has been close to flawless, but you just can't ever count out Lewis Hamilton. I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Max. I'm gonna go, I think he's gonna get it. I feel like the car is just too good and Max is just too good as well. But I don't know, you can't count out Lewis Hamilton. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't be surprised if Lewis did win it or at least took it to a title decider because especially the one thing we saw with Lewis in 2017 and 2018 versus Seb is that when we get to the Belgians, the Spas, the Hungaries, like that portion of the season, which we're entering right now, that's usually where he goes on a bit of a roll. So do you know what? If Max is like one race ahead, over 25 points ahead after Monza, then I'm going to say 100% Max. But if Lewis can win maybe two of the next three races, I think he's always in the fight. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. And I probably should clarify, when I say cement legacy, what I mean is um, if, you know, because this season is so competitive with Lewis Hamilton, it's literally neck and neck most of the time. Of course, granted, Max has been driving superbly most of the season. He's had the best car for most of the season. But if he doesn't beat Lewis Hamilton this year under those circumstances, 
let's assume the next two years Lewis is in Formula One, the Mercedes is not competitive, you know, unlikely, but, you know, it could happen. There's always that that sort of doubt in people's minds when they judge Verstappen amongst the all-time greats that he didn't beat Hamilton when they were into competitive machinery together. It's kind of like, in my mind, Alonso versus Schumacher 2006. Fernando Alonso won in 2005. Yeah, it was a great season. But that Ferrari was terrible. You know, Michael was never in a chance, but he beat Michael in a competitive car against him in the Ferrari. That to me kind of cemented Alonso's legacy as one of the greatest drivers of all time because he beat Michael in a Ferrari that could win a world championship. So for me, that's kind of what I mean when I say cement Verstappen's legacy because he could win 10 world titles, like you say. But if he doesn't beat Lewis Hamilton in that kind of machinery when Lewis has got an equal chance to some degree, it does dent it a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, it's always a it's always a really difficult one, but I feel like the fact that we're even talking about this in terms of Max Verstappen's legacy versus the greats, and the guy hasn't even won a championship yet. I mean, he hasn't technically he hasn't won anything to, to be honest in terms of obviously he's won races and stuff, but he's not in that championship discussion in terms of how many titles does he have? Like what does uh, his championships, how do they compare to the other championships? He's not, he's not there yet, but he should a champion. He should have a championship by the end of the year. But the fact that we're even talking about this, I think it just shows the caliber of driver that he is and his legacy already on. is one of, is one of the very best drivers ever. It's just about now delivering on that hype and delivering on that pace in terms of championships. Yeah, I mean, Courtney, you've been saying quite a lot that you're worried that this new era of Formula One could be dominated by Max Verstappen in the same way Lewis yeah. has dominated this current one. Yeah, I'm just hoping with these big regulation changes, you might see some um, some equal racing because I'm really excited about the Lando Norris's, the Leclerc's, George Russell's, and I, I think we, you know, I was a little bit worried that we might not have another golden generation because we've been blessed with some of the drivers we've had in the last decade or so. And I'm fearful that Max Verstappen could dominate the way that we have seen with Schumacher and Lewis. And I'm just hoping these regulation changes can give the likes of, you know, some of the drivers I just mentioned a chance to really have a go and um, challenge Max. Because, yes, Max is exceptional. I do expect him to dominate. But I'm just hoping these guys get the chance to show what they can really do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you mentioned Leclerc obviously was brilliant at Silverstone, showed again why he's still one of the top drivers out there, just needs Ferrari to give him that car. Lando Norris, of course, being superb this season, which brings me nicely to the next question, Aldous. Um, again, this was another one that a few, quite a few of our followers recommended to us. Um, they wrote, who has been your driver of the season so far and why? I was literally thinking about this actually about, about an hour ago because I was watching a video by uh, The Race and uh, Scott Mitchell in that in that video actually said, you know, at this point, is Lando Norris the driver of the season versus Max? I mean, it's so difficult because again, I'm gonna go with I'm I'm gonna go with Lando Norris because I feel like for him to be third in the champ, we're almost halfway through the season, and for him to be third in the championship is ridiculous. Like he is getting so much out of that car, and this season I thought was gonna be huge for him. I thought it was gonna be huge for both Ricardo and Norris because it's gonna kind of lay the groundwork for the coming years because. Was it going to be Ricardo's team? Was he just going to come into McLaren? And Norris, Norris did a great job in his rookie season. He did a great job in 2020, but he didn't beat Carlos Sainz. And as close as you are, you need to be beating these drivers. If you want to be a world champion, you can't just say, oh, well, I qualified him over the course of two years, but he did beat me in the championship. You have to, that's all that matters, beating your teammate and being the number one. And the way he has stepped up is unbelievable. Ricardo coming in, 
I mean, Ricardo, he, he's making Daniel Ricardo look second tier and Ricardo's yeah. kind of like struggling. And the fact that Lando has scored points in every single race, he's on a 15 race point streak, which is the longest one as we're recording this after Silverstone and before Hungary. He has just been incredible. He's always had that quality pace as well, although it seems like um, the Ferraris may, maybe have been a little bit better in qualifying. But in terms of the races, Lando Norris has just been unbelievable. Even in Silverstone, he would have finished probably second or third had it not been for that pit stop. So another podium. But then at the same time, I've also got to give a shout out to Max as well. Don't, you know, I don't want to make it like I'm, I'm underestimating Max because as I said, he's been close to flawless. He's been close to flawless and had it not been for that tire failure in Baku, he probably, he definitely would have won that. And had it not been for his collision with Lewis Hamilton, he might have won this one as well. So it's just, it's so close between them two, but I'm probably going to go Norris just for the, just for the fact that he is third and capitalizing every single time Perez and Bottas are having a bad race. And it's obviously because those two are struggling just a little bit. Valtteri has not been having a great season and Perez is still acclimating to being at a top team and having all of that pressure on his shoulders. But Lando Norris is just, he's just picking up every single point that he can when those two struggle. So for me, Lando and Max is just, he's just there. So yeah, Lando. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I mean, it, it's very easy to say that the guy that's winning the championship and been as brilliant as Verstappen is has been the best driver. But I think you've obviously got the usual caveat in when you've got the best car overall, it's quite easy to look good. Although that, again, would probably do a bit of a disservice to how brilliant Verstappen has been. He's really stepped up this year, or at least ironed out the edges in his uh, arsenal of attributes, if you like, in order to be at the level where he can compete with Lewis Hamilton degree, where he could be the toughest challenge he's ever had. Um, in, in terms of a championship, I think you probably wouldn't be too far off with a shout like that. Um, Courtney, you were sort of nodding your head a lot with the uh, mm. Lando Norris appraisal from Aldous. Would you agree to that? Has Lando really been the driver of the season so far? Yeah, I think not only on track, but I think he's shown, I think he's shown his maturity. Because uh, the, the concern of mine, I've been watching Lando from the junior categories, and as much as I've loved, you know, him being a meme lord and everything, it's, it's been it's been fun to watch. But I was slightly concerned it's going to start affecting his racecraft. And we're seeing this season that he's really taken a step up. And another thing, I'm, I'm glad that people are starting to acknowledge that actually, I don't think Daniel has been as bad as people make out. It's just where Lando's done so well, it's actually made Daniel Ricciardo start at McLaren seem actually worse than it has been. And I think, it's, I think we're getting to the point now where people are really starting to notice just how good Lando has been and the fact that Daniel has had like some catching up to. We see great improvement from him in, in Silverstone, of course. But I just think Daniel's form in comparison to Lando is actually we should actually look at it not as a negative towards Daniel, but a positive towards Lando's form. He's actually he's actually been phenomenal this season. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'm conscious of time as well, so I'm gonna skip to the last question if I may. Um, Aldous Bottas Russell, obviously. You know, will they, won't they for next season at Mercedes? Um, I'm not going to ask you who you think is going to be in that car next season. What I am going to ask you, though, um, and this was the question that was put forward to me by 1892 Reds podcast, uh, Liverpool-based podcast for our football fans out there. If Valtteri Bottas or George Russell, hypothetically, wasn't partnering Hamilton in 2022 in the Mercedes, which driver, realistically speaking, that's available, would you like to see in the Mercedes? So wait, if, if it wasn't those two, you're saying? If it wasn't Bottas or Russell yeah. partnering Lewis, which driver? And by that, I mean, no one that's tied down to a long-term deal. So anyone that's got like a year or two left that's theoretically available, who would you like to see partner Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes? Wow, great question. Um, well, first of all, I'm an Everton fan. So Liverpool oh. podcast, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. 
Uh, no. <laughs> this was going so well. <laughs> Sad, sadly, I, admit, oh, I have to admit it. That is a great question. Um, I've got, okay, Fernando Alonso for sure, because I feel like he has he has so much unfinished business in Formula One. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure if he could beat Lewis even now over the course of a season, but he'd give him a ridiculously good push. And he'd also be competitive every single, I still, I still want to see, I want to see one more year. I just want to see one season with Fernando with a good car that can maybe win races. I mean, if he had that, it would be unbelievable. So I'm going to go Fernando, but also, because I want to, I want to give a shout out to maybe another driver as well. I'd also want to see where Pierre Gasly is as well. I thought I was going to say. Because I feel like, I'm still not sure about Pierre Gasly because a lot of people are rating him now with Leclerc. They think he's for sure going to be a future world champion. I still need a bit more proof because I need that mental proof because that's the one thing he lacked at Red Bull. He always had speed and even though it didn't work out with Red Bull, it was that mental side. He just didn't have it. He wasn't quite comfortable within the team. And although he has improved, if you look at the teammates that he's beaten, obviously Daniel Kvyat, Yuki Sonoda, it's th- there's those guys. And then there's being in a team with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. That is what defines you as a world champion. And it was what I was talking about with Lando. When you beat these big guys, when you really are competitive against Carlos Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo, then you go into that conversation of being a future world champion. And that is the one thing I want to see from Pierre Gasly. How does he, how much has he improved? How much has he grown as a person? Because he's definitely got the speed. He's definitely got the consistency. But how much, is he, how much has he improved up here mentally to survive with the pressure and battle against Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton 1v1? So I'm going to go number one, Fernando Alonso, because I'd love to see him just one more year in a title-challenging car. And then Pierre Gasly, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I felt like I knew you were going to say Gasly um, after Alonso, just because I, I agree. I, I think last season he was phenomenal. I think that Monza win was pretty much the cherry on the cake. And it was really, it was a very romantic story after everything that happened with him with um with Antoine Hubert obviously how hard that hit him and how he was able to respond after the time he'd had at Red Bull I I think we can all agree that whilst it wasn't an easy environment to work in it wasn't very nurturing perhaps as he would have hoped there were certain facets I think he needed to get on board with that he struggled with in the same way that perhaps Alex Albon did to a degree last season though I think we can all probably feel that Albon at least put a little bit more in to try and make that work it just wasn't going to happen for him on a consistent basis but um there is that asterisk over him I think Gasly in a very competitive era of Formula One where almost every single driver on the grid is a top top level driver it's so hard now compared to how it used to be to really stand out but to go on and say that Gasly is up there with the likes of the Leclerc's, the Russells, perhaps the Norris's, you know, I think that is a bit of a stretch. And I think we need to see him against more competitive teammates, perhaps in a better car than what he's in at the moment, um, yeah. to kind of get that definitive opinion on that one as well. But um, since you mentioned Alonso, I'm going to ask you, do you think um, he's he could still win a world championship before he retires? And how have you rated his return so far? Uh, I'll leave the title question... I've actually got, I've literally put out a video. Uh, I know you have, that's what I'm asking. Today you. about Fernando Alonso, <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a bit of a spoiler to that one. Uh, in terms of how I've rated his comeback, I feel like seven out of 10. Um, poor start to the season, poor from Fernando. I know that he was, you know, a, a couple of years out of the sport, all of that, but uh, I have to, I'm taking that out of it. I have to rank him with, with the rest of the drivers. And I feel like he was really poor, especially in qualifying in the first few races. But he is now, as I as I mentioned, actually, I think in that video, him and Lando now have the longest uh, point scoring streak, five, race, the five races in a row that they've scored points, which is obviously longer than anyone else. So 
Uh, obviously, that's really impressive. He's been picking up points quite well. And I don't think the Alpine is like... I was a little bit disappointed because uh, Fernando is one of the three drivers that I've... That's caught, kind of from my era. So Lewis, Seb, and Fernando. Those are like just the drivers that I started watching. And they'll, I'll, I'll always have a special connection to them. And the fact that Fernando, again, does not have a great car. Because I was hoping with Renault scoring podiums last year, maybe Fernando has a chance of that. To see him on the podium again just would be nuts. Um, so the fact that the Alpine is under-delivered and is, is not a great car, but he is still doing a really decent job. Again, uh, scored points in all of the last five races, out-qualified Ocon in all of the last five races, and he's starting to get his grip on that team. He's starting to get that Fernando Alonso feel around Alpine, and it's almost like Esteban Ocon has now got to really fight back because otherwise he's going to end up like the outsider because Fernando is just such a strong character like that. So I've been impressed. I've been, I've, I've been impressed with his uh, comeback, but not amazed because he's not quite the Alonso that I know just yet. I need to see... I need to see this until the end of the season for me to be kind of like impressed. So uh, that's the one part of his question. And do I still think that he can win a championship now? Honestly, if, if it's just a yes or no, I'm going to go no, because he doesn't have the same qualifying pace as both Verstappen and Hamilton, but he would be right there consistently picking up the podiums, podiums in every single race. And he would surprise in some races if he really got everything together, if that car really just hooked up around him, say the Red Bull or the Mercedes, and he was up against, you know, either Max or Lewis, he could still get a few pole positions, some great qualities, but it's just that qualifying aspect. Because the one thing we've seen in this championship is that if you don't get pole position and if you don't overtake uh, your opponent on lap one, sometimes that's it. That's all you get. And, as, and both Fernando, Lewis and Max are bulletproof in the races. They're not going to be spinning out. They're not going to be making mistakes. I don't think I've even seen... I haven't even seen a lockup, to be honest, that I can remember from Lewis and Max. So that's the biggest differentiator. I still think I still think Alonso has the pace, but his qualifying is just a little bit below Max and Lewis. But there's still that question. I'd love to see him in a Mercedes or a Red Bull because what can he really? How good is he still? I there's just still a part of me that thinks could he win a championship? I, I'm going to go no, but he would definitely fight for one. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's the Fernando at his peak when he was at Ferrari and obviously dragging. Yeah. Uh, the F2012 and almost F2010 to winning a world championship. Um, you know, Amazing. as unlikely as that, what that would have been incredible. That would have literally been the equivalent of Leicester City winning the Premier League, Fernando winning. That 2012 one especially yeah. was just mental. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd love to see it happen. Um, I'm just happy to see Fernando back to a degree. There's certain things he does outside the car as well. Some of the things he's just so blunt about what he says and weighing in. It's just typical Fernando. And it's what fans love about him. But, That's just his yeah. character. Yeah, you kind of yeah, have to exactly. just like, he, he is what he is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it definitely carries the aura in the sport and it's definitely increased the value of it. Um, in terms of return, it's definitely been a success so far. But Unfortunately, guys, that's all the time that we've got for, um, you know, Aldous, once again, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and join us on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege having you on. Fully agreed. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Obviously, it was just uh, amazing to talk F1, especially after such a controversial <laughs> Uh, British Grand Prix and uh, yeah hopefully I'll come back uh, at some point later in the year and we'll be edging a little bit closer to seeing who can win this uh, world championship oh absolutely I'd love to have you on again and I think quite conveniently obviously when we first started talking about obviously having you on the show I was almost a bit worried if we're actually going to have enough to talk about 
and uh, it's conveniently kind of worked out. So we'll definitely have to try and time it again just to have an equally explosive moment. I think if something like that happens again, yeah. I'm literally going to be spamming your DMs like, mate, come on, we, you know, this is the time. <laughs> Um, yeah that's to be fair yeah. yeah that's what we were saying you know we were obviously we were going to record this first of all before Silverstone but then we kind of like mm. agreed to let, let's wait after Silverstone because then we'll have a few things to talk about and yes we did have a few things to talk about so yeah, yeah. it's brilliant well. timing absolutely brilliant timing yeah but of course guys if you have enjoyed this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast please do give it a like if you're watching on YouTube and consider subscribing to the channel as mentioned before I've left a link in the description below for Aldas's channel of course if you haven't checked out his channel where have you been this guy's mega mega big and his content is fantastic so definitely check it out if you haven't already and of course if you are listening to us on your favorite podcast and platform thank you so much for tuning into that and make sure to give us a like on a follow on there but until then guys we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So stay safe and thanks for tuning in. See you soon. Podcast Network.